Well, welcome to Graceway Baptist Church to our Sunday school hour. It's a privilege and an honor to be with you again, and we're praying for you, and we are thankful for you. And uh, we're going to be looking at the Sunday school lesson that we're going to present on July the 2nd. That date just sounds hot, doesn't it? July 2nd of 2023. And uh, we're going to Galatians again, and we're looking at chapter 2 and looking at verses 6 through 10. And one of the things that I want to kind of address in here is that um, sometimes we know we're called to stand for truth. Sometimes it's hard to be as bold as we ought to be, maybe for a couple of reasons. Um, if you're like me, there have been some times you've been what you thought would be bold and what was called for in the situation, and it was completely misunderstood, and you came across like a jerk, and um, you go, well, I'll never do that again. I just won't say anything. Well, that's not really the right answer either, because either way, you kind of get uh, in trouble. If you don't warn somebody or tell somebody something they need to know, then they hold it against you. But other times when you do tell them what they need to know, they hold it against you. Somebody told us one time, uh, like in dealing with adult children, that advice that is not sought is construed as criticism. Boy, have we ever found out that to be true, that when you offer your advice or opinion or something that would be helpful, that uh, it may be taken as, what do you think, I'm doing something wrong, or I don't know what I'm doing, or something like that and you know no no I didn't mean anything like that at all the same thing can be true with witnessing sometimes we come across when we share the gospel with people like um, you are just really really stupid and I am the smart person here to rescue you and uh, we're we're answering questions that nobody's asking and then other times you know we hear from people well why didn't you tell me this sooner and uh, somebody else told me this. Why didn't you tell me this? And, you know, it's kind of a no-win situation. So we've got to be careful. We've got to be wise. We've got to be discerning. We've got to be kind. We've got to be compassionate. And yet we also have to be clear. Boy, that's not the easiest thing to do, not in the times in uh, which we live. And uh, Paul was sort of in that same situation. Now, what does he do? These Judaizers from Jerusalem have come down, and now they're confusing the Galatians. So one way or another, Paul's going to make some enemies, and uh, maybe even uh, we could say at, at the best case scenario, he's going to make enemies, or he's going to be just completely misunderstood. Because if he stands for the truth, then the Judaizers from Jerusalem are really going to be against him, and as it turns out, they were, and they became thorns uh, in his flesh uh, for quite a while. But if he doesn't take a stand, then he's got these believers in Galatia, these Gentiles that are baby Christians, and they're unclear then about what the gospel is and about how to get right with God. What message are they going to share with anybody else? And what do they do with their own assurance of salvation or maybe doubts about salvation? if they're not really clear and if Paul's not clear. Uh, does the church then be uh, just a divided entity where there's a Jewish church with one gospel 
and a Gentile church with another gospel. Well, that doesn't work either because, of course, there's only one gospel. So, um, have you ever stood for truth knowing that you were right, but were intimidated by the false assurance and overbearing nature of uh, the one who is wrong? I have heard uh, people talk about having like a Jehovah's Witness come to their door and they said, I wanted to witness to them, but they were so well trained and so sure of themselves that they had an answer for everything that I brought up. So I just don't say anything anymore. We've all kind of had those situations. Maybe you've had a relative that um, they said, so you're a Christian, huh? Yeah. Well, I've got a question for you. And they ask us something that we didn't know or weren't prepared for, something that we couldn't answer. And so it just seems easier sometimes to keep your mouth shut. And yet, isn't there a part of you that says, that's the problem. Christians are keeping their mouths shut. We don't really know everything we ought to know the way we ought to know it. And it seems like the devil's group, they, they know their stuff and they come across so um, confident and overbearing, they overwhelm us with things. I was um, listening to somebody the other day. Uh, they were having a debate and questioning in the Senate. And this one senator asked a person, you know, a certain question, and the person just would not answer the question. I mean, it wasn't that they answered it in a way that the senator disagreed with. They did not answer the question. And they had their talking point, and four different times they did not answer the question and just said that, boy, it was, must have been frustrating for that. Have you ever felt that way? And you ever felt like you were ill-equipped or maybe, uh, maybe you just aren't the right person to speak up and uh, yet we do certainly need to speak up. We're commanded to. So think about this. The Judaizers tried to intimidate the Galatian believers and insinuated that their quote-unquote gospel was legitimate and was backed up by quote-unquote, real apostles, unlike Paul. You know, they would kind of give the idea, well, you know, Paul, he wasn't like Peter and John who actually walked with Jesus. Uh, you know, he's a little bit different, and uh, he's not exactly telling you everything that needs to go on. And you remember that they are quoted in Acts, I believe it's 15, as saying, if you are not circumcised according to the law of Moses, you can't be saved. And so can you imagine a Galatian believer saying, well, what about the idea that for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves? It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. One of those Judaizers would probably say, if you are not circumcised according to the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Well, what about where Paul said this and this and this? If you are not circumcised, I mean, I get the idea they were just this uh, broken record, repeating this over and over and over and kind of gaslighting them and hammering down on them and doubling down on this situation that the poor baby Christians in Galatia, they didn't know what to think. They didn't know what to believe. So Paul comes along and says, well, we've got to settle this. And so uh, 
Paul was not merely acting out of self-preservation. He was standing for the truth. Like it says in uh, the book of Jude, in the first couple of verses, we are to contend. That's a, that's a word of uh, uh, argue and debate, isn't it? We've got to contend earnestly for the faith. We can't just let it slide. Now, we don't want to be jerks, and we don't want to be unkind, and we don't want to be like them, just overbearing and just a broken record, but we've got to speak up as well. And so uh, when we think about this, we have to remember the gospel is not just a matter of somebody's opinion and we can just agree to disagree. Somebody's right and somebody's wrong. Now, we could both be wrong. Certainly that would be true. And uh, one could be right and one could be wrong, but they can't both be right. And when you put eternity into it, it means somebody's going to heaven and somebody's going to hell. This is a serious matter. Now, uh, it says in verse 6, But from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows uh, personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something, big shots, influential, added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the gospel for the circumcised, the Jews, was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the uh, apostleship, to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. Same spirit, same gospel, just different groups of people, right? Verse 9, And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. That's called an endorsement. They put their weight behind Paul and Barnabas, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. And so uh, as we read that, we notice some things about the Apostle Paul. Now, granted, he may have had more of a type A personality than some people do. He may have been more confident, better educated, that type of thing, than some people are. But I don't think that's the whole answer because sharing the gospel, witnessing to people, is not really a matter of how bold you are. It's not really a matter of how much you know, even though you, you should know the gospel and you should be able to speak to it. It's not a matter of what kind of a personality that you have, whether you're an introvert or whether you're an extrovert, is not really the issue. Now, God can use those things, certainly. And it may be easier for some types of people than it is for others. If you've got a real problem with shyness, it may be difficult for you to approach somebody to talk to them or to maybe even answer them or stand up to them or to refute them. But nonetheless... When it all comes down to it, it's a spiritual thing, isn't it? We have the Holy Spirit. We have the Word of God. 
and greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And we forget that. And so no matter how the uh, other person may come across, understand you've got spiritual power in your life and you've got the word of God. And even if you can't fully explain everything that you believe out of the Bible, just quoting the Bible, there's power in that and that's how you plant the seeds. And so we should never go with the idea that we are really kind of behind the eight ball and the world has all of the advantages. When you read your Bible and understand it, we are the ones who have the advantage because God is working in us and behind us. And the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And that weapon that we have is truth. What demolishes the strongholds? Not our intellect, not our ability to debate or argue or anything, but just the simple truth of the Word of God. So notice how Paul approached this whole situation. And number one, you find in verse 6 that he approached it with confidence. And so uh, I think my question for you would be, if you want to be a bold witness, where's your confidence? Where is your authority? And if you really believe that the Bible is true and you really believe that the Bible is powerful, Scripture says about itself, it's alive and powerful, sharper than a double-edged sword, right? Remember that? And so uh, we don't really need to defend the Bible. Spurgeon said, the Bible is like a lion. You don't need to defend a lion, just turn it loose and the lion will defend itself. And I think a lot of times we think that we have to argue somebody, we have to answer all their objections, we have to give quote-unquote proof for everything that we say, when really we just need to give them the Word of God. During Vacation Bible School, the 5th and 6th graders had some um, men from the Gideons organization come up here, and they were all given a New Testament, and uh, they, they all made a commitment that they were going to share. They were, they were able to get two New Testaments if they promised to give one away. And uh, the man there told a story, and I think it's the same story that uh, another Gideon told in a Sunday night service. There was a girl, and she was living in a Muslim village. Everybody was a Muslim. There were no churches, and there were no Bibles. But she ran across a Gideon who gave her a New Testament. She started reading the New Testament, and uh, lo and behold, she trusted Christ as her Savior and Lord. Well, she started witnessing to her friends, and uh, her friends wanted to know more about it, and so she took her little New Testament, and she would uh, take a, a, a pen knife and cut out the Gospel of Matthew out of the New Testament and give that to one of her friends. Then she would cut out Mark, and she would give that to another one of her friends, Luke to another one of her friends, and John to another one of her friends. Well, they started reading the Bible, and they started discussing it, and her friends started getting saved. But they didn't have any other Bibles, and, um, you know, wh what are you going to do? And so this girl ran across another Gideon at another place and uh, told him the story about all of this, and uh, he was able to get her a few more New Testaments. She was able to pass those out to other people and give them to her newly converted friends who gave them to other people. And just through the simple reading of the Word of God, 
a significant number of people in that village, that Muslim village were converted. And today there's a church in that village. Well, how does that happen when, when you have people that don't really know much, don't really understand much? What is it that really converted them? It was the simple word of God. The psalmist said the law of the Lord, meaning the Bible, is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Now, I want to ask you a question. Do you believe that? And before you say amen, just consider this, part two of the question. Do you act like it? Do you have confidence in the Word of God? Paul was absolutely confident in the Word of God. And so when he got to Jerusalem, he just simply shared with them what he had shared with the Galatians. What was it that saved the Galatians? He shared that same gospel that same teaching with Peter, James, and John, and they affirmed it. So he went with confidence that uh, there's not anything else, and there's nobody there that's more important than him. There's nobody there that has an opinion that's greater than the Word of God. In other words, this is what God said. Now, these people seemed to be something. They were influential in the church, but Paul says they're not more influential than the Word of God and they're not more influ influential than God himself. Now, we need to remember that. Whatever it is that we may hear and whatever it is that may attack us and attack our faith is not greater than the word of God and certainly not greater than God. The message that we have to share with them is greater than anything that anyone anywhere at any time has ever known. Someone said to me one time about a situation, well, is that found in history or is it just in the Bible? Now, that's kind of a funny question because the Bible is history. The Bible tells us things that happened in the past and the Bible always tells the truth. Ask any archaeologist in the Middle East. They make fun of the Bible and say, oh, we've never found anything like that. And then the next shovelful shows that the Bible was telling the truth that these things happened, that they happened the way the Bible said they happened, and in the same places where the Bible said that they happened. Uh, archaeology is the Bible's best friend, in other words. Never, never anything has been disproved through archaeology, but uh, rather it's been proven. Well, we kind of come across things like maybe they know something we don't know. Maybe the Bible misled us. Maybe the Bible is not entirely right. And uh, Paul would refute that. And he said, even when I'm going up against the real apostles, the genuine apostles and all of that, he wasn't intimidated because maybe they seemed to be something, is what he says. And he says, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. And then he says, here's the real key, that God shows personal favoritism to no man for those who seem to be something, well, they added nothing to me. What were they going to say? What were they going to tell him? What were they going to take away? God had, Paul had, pardon me, the word of God to stand firm in. And so while Paul respected the other apostles, he did not feel in any way inferior to them because he had the word of God. And he saw them for what they were, sinners saved by grace, just like everyone else and every other believer. 
Now their assignment may have been a little bit different, but their salvation and their worth before God was just the same. And some people were elevating the church leaders to super saint status, but Paul saw them as well as himself as sinners who deserved eternal hell and people who were receiving far beyond what they deserved. Peter didn't deserve to be an apostle. He was chosen to be an apostle. He was a denier after all. He was a liar. Others may deny you, Lord, Peter said to Jesus, but I won't. I will die for you if I need to. And then what did he do? He turns around and denies the Lord, not once, not twice, but three times. Not under the threat of the sword or anything like that, but just under, um, you know, embarrassment and intimidation, that kind of thing. And so uh, what right did he have to be an apostle? That's why he went back to fishing. You remember in the Bible it says... Uh, that Peter told the other disciples, I'm going fishing. And he wasn't going for recreation. It meant he was leaving this and going back to his fishing boats, back to that business. He had no business being an apostle, and he knew that. So what does Jesus do? He meets him at the seashore in John 21, and then restores him and shows him that he has forgiven him, restores fellowship with him. And then what happens? Lo and behold, Peter preaches and three thousand people get saved he's even included as being an author a writer of one of the books in the uh, new testament a very influential man well paul could look at all of that and he could say it's a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that christ jesus came into the world to save sinners and then he can add this of whom i am chief now what is he saying here i'm inferior to the other apostles Actually, what he was saying is we're on level ground when it comes to the foot of the cross. We all stand together, <coughs> all in need of the grace that only God could give. So he wasn't intimidated in the least, and neither should you be when you share the gospel. They need exactly what you need, and they don't need your arguments. They don't need your intellect. They need your gospel, the gospel of grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because even the apostles themselves were Romans 3 people, you remember that? No one seeks after God, no one understands. And they were also Ephesians 2 people, which means they were dead in trespasses and sins. No wonder Jesus had to say to them over and over, Oh, ye of little faith, are you so dull of hearing? And, you know, that type of thing. Why? Because they were just like us, unable, apart from the Holy Spirit, to understand anything. And that's every lost person's situation. It's every saved person's situation when you get right down to it. So he stood in confidence. Number two, you find that Paul stood in cooperation. It, it says in verse 7, But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter. Peter and Paul were not opposing each other. There were not two different Gospels for two different audiences. Same Gospel. And that same is true today. I don't care whether you're talking to Asians. I don't care whether you're talking to Africans. I don't care whether you're talking to Europeans. I don't care whether you're talking to Americans. It doesn't matter whether they're uh, red, yellow, black, brown, or white. Same Gospel. Same need. 
It doesn't matter whether you're talking to someone with a third grade education that can barely read or write or somebody with a PhD. We're working together and we are working in concert with the Spirit of God for the salvation of souls. That's why Paul said, Apollos watered. Well, Apollos was a really, really good waterer. He was mighty in the scriptures. He was very eloquent, right? And, uh, you know, some plant, some water. And Paul said, but he who plants is nothing and he who waters is nothing, but it's God who gives the increase. Oh, if we could only understand that, we go out in the power of God. God does the work. Well, Peter and Paul were going to different audiences, but with the same gospel. These Judaizers had it all wrong. And the church at that time was majority Jewish, unlike today. And the Roman government saw Christianity as just a sect of Judaism. And uh, many of the Jerusalem church kind of thought the same thing. And so they wanted people to become Jews and adopt Jewish tradition and Jewish um, rituals. And um, let's see, some may have seen Peter's calling as being superior to Paul's because he was still keeping the feast and the people he ministered to were still going to the synagogue and observing different things like that. But Paul, he's just a renegade and his people are just doing whatever they want and they're not even circumcised. But this is Acts 15, the council there, settling the issue that we are equal in Christ. Paul would later write, For there is neither Jew nor Greek, uh, barbarian nor Scythian, slave nor free, male or female in Christ, but Christ is all in all. Everything is equal and level and normal when we come to Jesus Christ. There are no haves or haves not, have-nots or anything like that. And so this is a big problem that is being solved here. Thirdly, Notice how Paul came with consistency in verses 8 and 9. For he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace, notice that, that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. So it's not Paul's work and it's not Peter's work. It's not Paul's gospel. It's not Peter's gospel. It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's God's work. And uh, Paul said it is he who worked in both of them. And so uh, Paul had a, a wonderful understanding of all of this. It's not me. It's Christ. It's not Peter. It's Christ. And so we can work together and we can join hands on this. That right hand of, of fellowship was more than just like a handshake that we have. It was saying, you're a friend, you're a colleague, I endorse you. We are together in all of this and we're not opposed. And uh, whatever happens in your life and in your ministry, hallelujah, praise God. Whatever happens in mine and over here, hallelujah, praise God. We are not competitors. Oh, if churches and Christian people could understand that. It doesn't matter. You may witness. Somebody else may lead them to the Lord. They may even go to a different church after they do that. Hopefully it's a sound church. But that's not our business. We're not in competition with other churches or other people or other witnesses. Uh, this is all 
the work of God. Understand that. And so uh, that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, and 7, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. Let that sink in, anything, but only God who gives the growth. Same Holy Spirit, same gospel, different audiences, but the right hand of fellowship meant that they were all together. And in the Near East, this represented a solemn vow of friendship and a mark of partnership. We're partners in all of this. And this act dignified the apostles' recognition of Paul as a teacher of the true gospel and a partner in the ministry. That's out of the MacArthur Study Bible. You know what that means? The Judaizers had the rug pulled out from under them. They didn't have a leg to stand on. And number four, notice he did it also with compassion. And I think sometimes as Christians, and this seems to be the more um, Bible-believing you are, the more staunch you are on this, you lose sometimes your compassion. You feel like you're going to war. I mean, in in a sense you are, but we forget that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood ever. And yet we act like it. We act like this person's an enemy. We act like this person is just obstinate and that they are against the Lord. When the truth of the matter is they need the same Holy Spirit to give His grace and understanding and faith just like you did. Okay? God gives the increase. And notice how when they finish up here in uh, the last part of verse 9 and verse 10, it says that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. And then they desired only that we should remember the poor. And notice what Paul said, no problem, the very thing which I was also eager to do. And I'm afraid sometimes we come across like lawyers trying to win an argument, like people on a debate team trying to put somebody else in their place. And maybe that's why we don't get used more than uh, we are. This is not about who's right. This is not about winning an argument. This is about caring for people and caring for their souls. Now, when uh, James said, make sure that you remember the poor. Make sure that you are showing good works. Well, I'm, I'm thinking about what it says in the Gospel of Matthew. Let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I'm thinking of Ephesians chapter 2, which says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We don't do good works in order to get saved. We do good works because we are saved, because we have the love of God in our heart, because we have compassion toward other sinners. Why? Because we understand that's where we would be except for the grace of God. So we use anything we can. This morning, we unloaded a truck full of cereal that we're going to give to the students at uh, Roosevelt Middle School. And in Bible school, we collected hygiene products as our Bible school offering to give to those same kids. Now, why do we do that? Because we care, because we love them because we're thankful that we're not in that situation and we have an opportunity to give, so we want to give. And these are kids that get excited because they can have cereal and have a choice of cereal. I mean, 
that's a different world than most of us live in. And what's our deal on that? Does anybody get saved because they get a box of cereal? No. Does anybody get saved because they get a toothbrush? No. But what if one of those kids says, why would anybody care enough to do this? And maybe that opens up the door for them to have a soft spot in their heart toward Christians and toward the gospel. Why would they care? Why would they love me? Why would they get involved in my life? Why would they do this? And then they glorify our Father which is in heaven. Isn't that worth it? And so the apostles are telling Paul here, just make sure that what you say is backed up by love, by compassion, by service, and do good things so that it opens the door for the gospel and it confirms that you're just not trying to convert people. Well, you know, like uh, the Muslims would do back during the Middle Ages where they would convert you, repent, convert, or die. We've never been like that. We have the power of the love of God. And Paul said, now abides th three things, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. That's a weapon and that's the power that we have to have in our hands, not with any ulterior motives, but because we care and we care about people. And we don't ever want to forget that. This is not just about winning an argument. So the Great Commission covers everyone, all the world, and everyone sharing the gospel, not just the preachers, not just the apostles, everyone. And witnessing for Christ requires love. You're going to have love for Christ or you're never going to do this. You're going to have love for people or you're never going to do it. And love is shown by meeting needs, uh, physical needs as well as spiritual needs. And uh, we're kind of getting ready to conclude here. But don't forget in all of this, 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, well, how does God's love abide in him? And so our conclusion is there are no have or have not Christians that we're all equal in Christ. Never forget that. And we have equal creative worth, but different functional roles. Not everyone can be an apostle. Not everyone can be an elder. Not everyone can be a teacher or there wouldn't be any point to any of those gifts. In the body of Christ, God will assign you and he will equip you for service as he chooses. There is no need to feel inferior and uh, there is certainly, it's certainly sinful to feel superior to other people as well. Neither one of those are good. It has been said that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And boy, that certainly is true. And that's what this passage reminds us of. There are no super-duper apostles and then just kind of, sort of, wannabe apostles or anything like that. And there are no Christians that are real Christians and other Christians that just sort of, almost, sort of, kind of have their toe in the water Christians. No, if you're saved, you're indwelt by God and you are a child of God and you're saved by the grace of God. And that's what had to be proven in all of this so that there wouldn't be this uh, divided church with two different gospels. It's not supposed to be that way. Unity in Christ as we partner together with other believers of like faith and like mind for the glory 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you get that? And even as Sunday school classes, your class is not in competition with the other classes. I mean, if it benefits the nursery, it benefits all of us. If it benefits the senior adults, it'll benefit the nursery. It's, it, we're all in this together. See what I mean? And so let's do this in one accord for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, assigned and doing our assignments as God directs us and being joyful in the fact that we had an assignment. Somebody else may see other results that we'd like to see, but that doesn't matter, does it? It's all of God and for the glory of God. Okay? I hope that's somewhat clear as you teach this lesson and uh, if you're watching to keep up with your class that you kind of get what we're talking about here. That's how Paul stood and that's why he was so effective and unintimidated even as he fought for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. So I hope you can do that as well. Well, thank you for your time and thank you for studying along with us and may the Lord give you insight and may the Lord bless you as you uh, share this with somebody else. We'll see you next week. God bless you. Thank you.